But I'll tell you the third day in the office, being on the sales floor, being around other people like me with similar backgrounds, seeing scoreboard up on the wall, seeing how they work together, seeing how they pushed each other, how they were competing with each other. Immediately, I was like, this is it. Is that much of a, is that, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post-9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian, and that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 77 features J.R. Butler, a former college hockey player, CRO, and the founder and CEO of Shift Group, a sales staffing firm that helps elite athletes and military veterans transition successfully into tech sales. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. All right. Good afternoon, Jared Butler. Welcome to Veteran Made. Thanks for having me, Carrie. I'm pumped to be here, man. Thanks, man. Stoked to stoked to have you. This is, uh, I think, number three in the in the civilian series um, of the show. I'm very excited to to tell the audience about you and, and about your organization and uh, what you've done and, and what you're doing and, and where it's going. Um, so I would love it if you could just give. Give our audience a, a bit of a primer on on your uh, your previous life, your athletic life, and uh, kind of where where and when you played, and uh, and then we'll we'll jump in from there. Of course. Um, so I'm from uh, Central Massachusetts, the Worcester Worcester area. I'm the oldest of three boys. My father is a Hall of Fame uh, hockey coach here in Massachusetts. Um, me, my and and both my all my brothers, we all played college hockey, uh, Division One. Um, and I, I played first, I played at a school called Cushing Academy in high school, uh, which is one of the best high schools in the country. And then I, 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 I did my college career at a school called college of the Holy cross in my hometown. Um, was part of a team, uh, in my sophomore year, we beat the university of Minnesota, which is considered the biggest upset in college hockey history. Uh, and then, um, and then I, I, I've coached kind of youth hockey ever since then. So hockey, to say hockey is in my blood would be a, a, an immense understatement, Gary. What, uh, what, what was it like growing up uh, with, with the Hall of Fame coach as a dad? And I don't mean that in the kind of like surface level or shallow way, but I mean like what was it like growing up with elite tutelage like that uh, in your chosen path as well? Well, it's funny, like um, – I talk to a lot of my buddies now that have kids about this uh, phenomenon, but my dad obviously has forgotten more about hockey than most people know, but he's also my dad, right? So you have a tendency, I think generally as a child to like almost kind of like take everything your parents tell you with a grain of salt, even when it's something like about a sport that you love that, that he's an expert in. Um, so I think from like a hockey perspective, you know, looking back, I wish I had listened to him more. But the example I always use is I went away to hockey camp, summer camp when I was like 13 and I was a defenseman. So I learned I was I was learning uh, this one on one kind of uh, like thought of like when a guy comes down on you, you up, you line your 
outside shoulder with his inside shoulder to hold the gap. And I got home from camp and I was telling my dad about this and he snapped on me because he's like, dude, he's like, I've literally been telling you that JR since you were seven years old. Right. So like on the hockey side, I think, I think I didn't get as much out of it as I, as I probably could have, which I think is pretty natural. Um, but I think like bigger picture, like life, 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 uh, lessons like my dad the way he raised us the way him and my mother who's also like very old school um i i I can't like put into words how meaningful the the lessons were around like accountability discipline right like ownership like things like that like you know i don't think there's a lot of parents outside of people like my dad who i got cut from a team when I was 12, I was completely devastated. All my friends had made the team and I didn't. And I was crying and he came home from work. And, I, you know, I expected him to like take me in his arms and, and tell me, you know, hey, it's the coach's fault. Like, you know, mother F everybody. And, you know, he basically said to me, he's like, he's like, dude, he's like, what did you, what did you do this summer, JR? Like, how many pucks did you shoot? Were you doing sprints, push up, sit up, squats? And, you know, he's, he basically was like, you didn't deserve to make the team. That's why you didn't make the team. Like, that's like a little nugget of like, just the way I was raised. And I think a lot of that has to do with the type of person he was and the type of leader he was as a coach like that, that stuff, I, it was priceless to me. Yeah. Those are the, those are the toughest lessons as a kid. And I, I, my daughter's four show almost four by the time this goes live. Um, and uh, my wife, my wife played college golf. Um, and I, I didn't, I did not play, uh, you know, sports at the next level, but obviously being, being, um, in the military and, and obviously things that we'll, we'll talk about here in the, the, um, the similarities, uh, are there. Like we talk all the time about, all right, well, how are we going to parent our kids if they're athletic and if they're kind of playing those sports and doing those things along? And we, those are examples that we give. It's like, well, if you, if you, if you don't make the team, there's a reason you didn't make the team. Like there's a reason that that guy coaches that travel hockey, you know, U12 team, you know, uh, and so he probably knows what he's evaluating, you know, and, and telling kids, giving kids that, that, that lesson of, Hey, remember last summer when I was reminding you, if you want this thing, you need to do these things and you didn't do those things. And so you didn't get the thing that you want. Like th- that's just, that's just such an interesting thing and not on the hockey or sports front, but the the number of conversations I have with my dad now about something. And even to this day, I'll say, Oh, you know, this thing I learned, like, do you not remember that I used to tell you that all the time as a kid? And I'm like, no, I wasn't listening to you. <laughs> like, oh, of course I wasn't. Uh, I love it. Um, what was your transition out of the sport? Like when, when did that happen? It was brutal, man. I was, uh, I was like 23 years old. Um, and, you know, I, my plan was to play professional hockey, like most people, right? Um, I, I, you know, delusion aside, I, I really, I really pr- probably wasn't good enough. I also, you know, I had, I had other issues, but ultimately, you know, I kind of woke up one day and um, I couldn't say I was a hockey player anymore. And that was brutal, right? Um, I struggled you know, I had this thing that kind of drove me, right? It gave me a purpose. It gave me my identity. It allowed me to set goals. It allowed me to have something, have some like skills that I was passionate about becoming excellent at. And because of that, I, I spent a lot of time practicing and, and being surrounded by people that are operate that same way. 
And then I woke up one day, I had none of that. And I wasn't around those people anymore. And I went down like a pretty dark path. I struggled with drugs and alcohol. Um, and then ultimately kind of what saved me was finding a career where like a lot of those things were very similar. Um, and, you know, a lot of that, that, that experience is, is one of the main reasons I started my company now. And I don't, I don't, I don't think it, it's too different. Um, obviously I didn't serve, but like, I, I know like a lot of veterans go through the same thing, but for me that, that transition period, like the, the analogy I always use Carrie is like my, my identity was kind of like a studio apartment. I was a hockey player. And if hockey went bad, like there wasn't another room to go into, right. To get away from it. So I was just in this like bad, this bad environment and I was down and depressed and all this stuff. And then when that's gone, um, it, it had a huge effect on me, right. Where had I, had I kind of been a little bit more prepared for that, um, I would have maybe been in like a, like a two or three bedroom house where, you know, I had hockey and then some career interests and then some like social life things as well. And, you know, that, that is, that is really like, at, at the core, that's really like what drives me now is like, I don't want anybody to have to go through what I went through. You know what I mean? For you in that, those initial, that initial moment or, or those initial series of moments, what was it specifically about the identity of a hockey player? Did you feel like you were going to miss the most or what was the thing that was, or things were driving you to say, shit, I am, I'm not this anymore. I think the, the biggest thing, and I, and I think you can relate to this, was being, being part of a team, right? Like being with other people that were working hard to achieve a goal together. Um, and there's a lot, obviously there's a lot that comes with that. Um, but like at the core, that was like the biggest thing that I was like, oh my God, this is going to be brutal. Like you go from being around essentially your best friends for like a majority of the day and then it's all gone. Like it's just done one day and it's just, it's, it's horrible. It's like brutal, brutal feeling. Yeah. What was your, um, what was your first step? What was, when you were doing a job, were you doing a job search initially, or were you thinking about a career? Were you thinking about a career field? Were you thinking about, because military, we tend to think in terms of like career field, right? Like regardless of your branch, right? There's, it's not just your, there's your job, but you're in a career field. Yeah. Um, and so that, that thinking is, is built in for us, right? That 20 years, 25, that's already kind of there. And it, and that's true in the civilian world as well, but, but not for athletes who play in, in college, play a little bit in the pros or, or trying to play in the pros. So were you thinking job, were you thinking career and, and where did you start? I was definitely thinking job. Like I, 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 you know, I was living, was living at home, you know, and, and I, unfortunately I, 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 I graduated with some, some debt. And so I'm sitting on like a 900 to $1,200 a month payment, um, driving a, a Buick, like a, like a 96 Buick without any mirrors and like hockey, hockey laces holding the, the, the trunk down because I backed into something and I, I just couldn't afford to do anything. I couldn't like, so I was just like, I need, I need to find something that I can get paid for. Um, at first, to be honest with you, like I was kind of erring towards like I, I went to a liberal arts school and I had a lot of friends that went to 
get like their masters, their MBA, law degree, med degree. So I was like, I'll just go to law school. Like I'm a good writer. Like I'll take the, I'll study for the LSAT, take the LSAT, go to law school. I was out at a bar in, in my hometown and I was, and I met a guy through hockey. He knew who I was and my family was, and I was kind of telling him my plan. And he like literally, he literally laughed in my face. He's like, all right, so you're going to go. He's like, you already, you told me you have a bunch of debt. You're going to go take on more debt. Um, you're going to go back to school, which it sounds like you didn't really love to begin with. Then you're going to go work like 80 hours a week and make like, you know, if you do the math on like those early, those early career jobs and like those, and those big ticket spaces like medical and law, when you actually like sit back and do the math on like your hourly pay, it's like actually really depressing. Yeah. And he did a really good job of like painting that picture for me. And he's like, and you're probably going to be there for like, five to 10 years before you really start making money, you can start paying off your loans and, you know, all this stuff. So he convinced me to take a sales job. And at the time it was just taking a job carry. Like I was just like happy to get a paycheck and, and whatever. But I'll tell you like the, the third day in the office, being on the sales floor, being around other people like me with similar backgrounds, seeing like the scoreboard up on the, up on the wall, um, seeing how they worked together, seeing how they pushed each other, how they, you know, they were competing not only like in deals for budget, but like competing with each other to like get the most revenue and get the most activity. Like immediately I was like, I, I knew I was like, this is a, this is it. Like this is, this isn't my job anymore. This is my career. And I, and one of my early bosses used to always say like, listen, JR, you leave your job at 5 PM, you leave your career at 7 PM. So it's up to you to decide which one this is for you. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a it was a transition period where I went from job to career, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, so something kind of similar to me that I can at least relate to, not in the sense of, of making it my career, but when when I was in the Air Force, I went through um, I went through selection for Air Force Special Operations and made it to the end, but not through the end. Uh, failed the run, the final run by six seconds, and then got in a car accident uh, a week later, and and uh, and was was too injured to stay in the pipeline. And um, it, it was a very difficult transition for me within the military because I had put the special operations community on a pedestal. I had put the conventional side of the house kind of down, um, and now I was going to be joining these these folks, and I had to learn a lot of different lessons of you know one team, one fight all these jobs matter, support matters, all of these different things that, you know, kind of felt a little jargony to me, but I was trying to convince myself to believe them. It wasn't until I got my new job as a bomb loader. And I learned that you were on for the airframe that I worked on teams of three and you had to get called every month. So I was able to feed that team mentality, that competitive mentality, and that like, hey, there's records that can be broken. There's a there's good ways to do this. There's bad ways to do this. You can get chosen to do certain tasks and some of these things. And through, it was through that teaming and that competitive lens that I was able to then latch onto. That's what I fell in love with. I didn't fall in love with the job of loading bombs on F-15E models. I fell in love with the competitive environment that I was operating within um, that I was able to like really kind of hone in on, on, on the, the sample size of what my frame of reference should be. Instead of thinking about this kind of larger picture that I fed in, fit into and being a cool guy, I was actually able to just be like, well, no, go be competitive and go be the best teammate you can be and crush it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, I mean, checking those boxes is so important when you're the type of people that 
go and choose to play sports and choose to serve in the military. So yeah. that's awesome. What uh, what were you selling? What was that first that first job? Oh my god, dude! It was literally the most like complex technology. It was data center infrastructure, um, and like to put that into into like context, I was a sociology major with a minor in art history and a minor in sign language. And I was one of like the only people I graduated in 2008. I was like, I think maybe one of like three other people in my class that didn't own a computer and I had never owned a computer before. So I went from like being like literally zero technical knowledge whatsoever to selling like literally the most complex technology stack you can sell to the biggest companies in the world. So it was quite a quite a culture and, and knowledge shock for me. You listing uh, all, all three of those majors and, and minors and then kind of talking about how, how your brain works and what you latched onto in, in that first environment. It makes me wonder, well, I mean, so the direct question is, when did you start to think about Shift Group? When did you start to think not just as an entrepreneur in, in terms of the sales opportunities, right? Because there's different tiers and there's different ways that you can operate as, as a salesperson. Um, so not just as an entrepreneur there, but as an entrepreneur who's like, oh, I actually, there's something else I might want to build, scale and, and sell. So when did you start to think that, that you wanted to do something like that? And then when did the idea for Shift Group um, actually come to you? I'd say like they were, the idea kind of came before I I had the confidence to think that I could bring it to market, if that makes any sense. Um, I would say like, honestly, probably like six to 12 months into my first leadership role, which when I was, I was probably like 29, 29 years old. So about, about a decade ago where I was hiring and I was, I was like, you know, I think I have a pretty good read on people. Like, I think I can kind of understand how people operate, but I was, I was struggling. Like I was making some, some bad decisions um, and there, unfortunately, there are people that are really good at interviewing. And I think now it's even a bigger problem because there's so much information out there about how to interview. Um, and I just, I, I, I started to pivot and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to interview for aptitude anymore. I'm going to interview for attitude. And I was looking for these like certain criteria that I knew if like foundationally, if a person has these things, I can teach them all the other stuff that's really important. And, you know, what really what ended up happening, Carrie, was like I was hiring a lot of like former athletes and a lot of people that served in the military because they were checking the boxes for me. They had the examples uh, to tell me where they showed these characteristics and, and these examples. And that's when I was like, wow, like this is something that I could, that, that like other, other people should really be doing. Um, and I also like cut that coupled with the fact that, you know, my brothers, my younger brothers at the time, one was playing in college, the other was playing professionally and my dad's still coaching. And I was getting, I, I was starting to have some success in my career. So I was getting a lot of phone calls from, from guys and girls that were finishing up either their college or professional hockey careers being like, you know, JR, you're not that smart. Yeah. You made like good money and you actually seem to really enjoy your career. Can you help me kind of think about how I could get into it? So I was doing a lot of this, what Shift Group does like early on. And then I was on a flight to London for, for my job. Um, and I ended up building like the original 
idea and deck. It wasn't called Shift Group, but it was like this this idea of like what we are today. Um, and that was in 2017. And and then to your point about like the entrepreneur side, I wasn't like it was kind of like I'll do this someday when I'm like 50, right? Um, after I get a bunch of experience as like you know an executive and maybe even a CEO in the tech world and da 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 da. And then, you know, I moved up the org chart. I became a VP of sales, then a chief revenue officer. And I started spending a lot of time around other executives, people that have, you know, that are in their, their late 40s and 50s that have had successful company builds, have been around the block, have seen it all. And I started to realize, like, outside of their experience, they're not necessarily smarter than me. They definitely don't work harder than me. And... I, I'm in a position in, in my career where I'm doing a lot of like on the ground tactical building and I'm really creating wealth and opportunity for these executives and these investors that I'm sitting in these rooms with. You know, I got this idea. I, I, I have the skill set, I think, to build a company around this idea. I'm going to go do it. And that's kind of, you know, late like late 2020, kind of into 2021, it started, I, I decided like, I'm going to take some of the kids that call me and I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can like make a little money on the side doing this. And I started doing that and the job market was hot and I made just doing nights and weekends. I made a bunch of money and that's when I was kind of like, all right, it's time. Like, let's, let's do this. And, and I kind of, you know, I burned the boats, quit my job, left a lot of money on the table and and went all in on shift group there's so much power in realizing that the work you're doing again if you're an entrepreneur you want to be an entrepreneur uh the work that you're doing for other people to build their infrastructure to strengthen their hierarchy um and to increase you know their their top line and bottom line it, it, there's so much power in realizing that what you're doing while you're doing that is gaining the skill set to do that for yourself if that's what you want to do. And then moonlighting on the side, proving the concept, building the case study and saying like, all right, cool. I'm using the, and, and this is something I think for, for our audience in particular is that there's, there's, there's this, this idea uh, and, and kind of uh, the sexiness of like, well, I'm going to go jump ship and be an entrepreneur. It's like, well, actually take a step back. Where are you right now? What are you doing? What are you learning? What more do you have to learn where you are? to build this thing, Nights and Weekends. Um, there's actually a, a, an advertising agency called Nights and Weekends, which is made up of Moonlighters. And so if you go to them, like you know you're getting people that work at other advertising agencies, but you're obviously they're working at, operating at a high level. But kind of using where you are right now to build the thing and then build those case studies so that when it comes time to burn the ships, you're not like burning the ships out of nowhere. You're not no. built, you're not, you don't not have a foundation. You have a very strong foundation to move on. Totally. And, and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of risk when you burn the ships, right? Like you don't, you know, you have to, you have to, if, if you really want it to be successful, you kind of have to put yourself in a position, both from like a skill set perspective, which is what you're talking about, but like also from like a personal perspective, right? Because when you do that, there's a lot on the line and, and you don't want to, you don't want to have to give it up because you haven't put yourself in a position where it's because it's going to be hard. You're going to have really dark times and, and really hard times. So you have to be ready for those in, in your personal life as well. And, th and that's, I think, something that some people don't think about either. Yeah, no doubt. 
Before we get into shift group, the thesis and what you build, I want to ask one more question about that transition period. So you said you were 23-ish years old when you talked to that guy, got into sales, and then you're about kind of 29 when you come up with this deck. So that's that's a good chunk of time, six years working in sales, scaling um, you know, up to, up to the C-suite. Your family's still playing hockey. How were you doing emotionally uh, around the idea of of tra- having transitioned into another career and enjoying it, but still being away from hockey, but still having that connection to hockey through through your your. It's really hard for me not to say hockey the way that you say hockey, having having this conversation, code switching, and saying it uh, like I'm from Mass, so I'm going to do my best not to. But what what was I think you understand the question? Like what what was that like for you emotionally at that time? It was, it was, I mean, no doubt really hard. And, and, and a lot of the, the struggles with my transition, you know, it, it's easy for me to admit this now at almost 40 years old. But if I look back at that time, I was getting out of the game and I had two younger brothers that were like kind of on the rise, right? Like, and especially my, my middle brother at the time was like one of the best college hockey players in the country on his way to, you know, being a Hobie Baker finalist, which is like the Heisman for ice hockey and signing a professional contract in the NHL, that didn't help. Like, I'll be honest, right? Like you have that immaturity still, there's a little bit of anger and resentment there. Um, And then you're kind of like, well, I guess like, even, even when I was like, realized this was a career, there was still some resentment there. Like, you know, shit, like I'm just the sales guy, right? Where my brothers played in front of 30,000 people in the NHL. um, And it was, I was kind of angry about it. And then actually, to be honest with you, my, my, when my brother played in his first NHL game, the collective bargaining agreement uh, makes the team has to fly the whole family to the game. So they flew our whole family to Ottawa for his first NHL game right after his uh, senior year. They, his team lost in the regional and seeing my brother in that environment, like being a professional athlete, you know, being in a suit, being, you know, rested before the game. You know, we were talking about the game. We met him for a coffee. He's talking about like he could name every other guy, every guy on the other team, what their power play looked like. Like he was, he was dialed in carry. Right. And I had this like realization moment where I'm like, just because I'm not a professional athlete doesn't mean that I'm not a professional. And I, and, and it, and it really was like, if I can, if I can approach my career now the same way that my brother is approaching his career and other professional athletes approach their career, there's nothing to say that I can't make as much money as my brother makes, right? Or as a professional athlete makes. So that it was like this moment where I went from this angry, like resentful person and like feeling like I was stuck in this career to like realizing that this was a massive opportunity and that if I got dialed in to this thing, the way that he was dialed into what we grew up with, that I could drive similar outcomes. And that was really the, the, the switch for me that went off. Dude, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, there's the, the, I don't like the term superpower, but like that is a superpower, the ability to just reframe, Right. Like we just we live in such a we live in, you know, in, in more ways than one right now. We live in a, in a culture that is it just focuses, hyper focuses on on the binary. Right. There's right and wrong. There's good and evil. There's there's this and that there's you know, we don't have to go into all those things. But it's like there's kind of so much focus on that, that we lose sight of the range of options in the middle for certain things and the ability to take an experience 
and to reframe it so that you can understand that there's a, a third path, fourth path, fifth path, a different way to execute on the same kind of goals that you have as a human and as a professional um, is, is, is so powerful. Um, so what is the thesis for shift group? What, like put put us on that flight. Like what, what was going through your mind? What did you build and, and, and what were you trying to accomplish? Yeah. Like the original mission statement was, uh, building a platform that helped high character individuals smoothly transition into a career that matched their, their characteristics and their mindset in a way that that would make them successful and the companies they go work for successful at the, at the, at the core of that, it comes down to, in my opinion, like three areas, characteristics, mindsets, and environment, right? Which everybody talks about athletes and, and veterans as salespeople, because, you know, like there's a certain level of accountability you need to have when you serve in the military. And, and when you play elite athletics, there's you know, resiliency, you, you do hard shit, you lose a lot and you have to come back the next day and, and do it again. Um, you've got to be trainable, uh, both in the, in the military and in athletics, we call it coachable, but it's the same, same concept. You're working on a team. Um, and you've got to have like this growth mindset. You've got to believe that you can get better every single day at this thing. That's the easy part, right. To talk about like our, my thesis of like, those things are, are all critical to be successful as a sales professional. But then there's also this idea, like I, I use the word dialed in a lot, like getting dialed in is something that athletes and veterans can do uniquely. And, and the idea behind it is like, you have a bigger purpose. That's why you're there. Right. And the military, your bigger purpose, you're, you're protecting the, the freedoms of America. Like that's incredible, incredible purpose, right? So people are willing to die for it. Um, and because you, you can like identify with this bigger purpose, it gives you that passion to become excellent at the things for you to achieve the goals that are aligned to that purpose. And it, and it makes it really easy to show up every day in practice. Um, and I think athletes and, and veterans are unique in that ability. So that, that's a huge piece. And then the environment, like not everybody is comfortable with a, with a very transparent scoreboard and a ranking system and being told like, like you talked about it, dude, you, you missed it by six seconds. Like that's brutal. Right. But that's, that's, that's how the environment of sales is. It's like, you miss your number. You're not going to, you're not going to make what you plan to make this year. And you're going to be okay with that. And you've got to use it as motivation like you did. Um, and you've got to be okay with a coach sitting you on the bench because you're not good enough because you didn't do the work. Um, and that environment is like really unique to, I think like, I really only think the three environments where that ranking, that scoreboard, um, that like competitiveness of nature of the, the career is, is really athletics, military service and sales. Like I can't think of, and I've trust me, I've tried an environment where those three, where, where, where those things are so prevalent. What, um, obviously we know your, your connection and background in athletics, but, uh, where did the idea for the military component, the service component co come into play for you initially? So I had, uh, I had two, two grandfathers that served, uh, both my grandfathers. Um, and they're both first, they were, they're, they're no longer with us, but they were both first generation, uh, Americans, one from Poland and one from Ireland. Um, and they joined the military 
uh, because they wanted a better life for their family. Right. And, you know, they both were, they both got out of the military and, and that's what they got. Like they both got like good jobs, good careers, good professions. One of them was a salesperson. He was a alcohol beverage salesperson. Um, and just like seeing, seeing that and seeing kind of like what the, the promise of the military meant to them and, and seeing kind of how that's playing out nowadays was a huge part of it. Um, cause there's a gap from back then to now. Um, and then secondarily, I mean, I grew up in a part of Massachusetts where I have a lot of friends that enlisted mostly Marines. Um, and you know, they, I saw them when, when we were in our 20, like late twenties, when I was struggling with, with alcohol and drugs and like all this emotional well-being stuff, they're going through the exact same thing I was. Right. Um, and a lot of them landed in, in civil service, they're firefighters, they're police officers and, and, and they're all like a lot happier now. Um, but like for me, I just like, it's, it's always been, it, even in that original deck carry that I built when I, uh, when I was flying to London, military was in there. This was, this was always the plan. Like it was always the vision and, and it's just, it's just kind of like, you know, something that I grew up with. It, it's, it's something that I, I appreciate people that serve in a way that I think is, is, I wish everybody did. Um, but I, I think that I get it. Um, and, and, and I think it's, that's a really important part of what we do. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's an important piece of your, your family history there with two, whoa, my new setup here. Uh, your, your two kind of first generation, you know, immigrant grandparents. I mean, you said it in a way that I actually don't hear a lot of people say very often. Um, and this is true even, even for, you know, sixth generation Americans, like whatever the military is a great gateway to a better life, regardless of what your circumstances are. Initially, they could be really bad or really good or somewhere in between. And everybody has their own versions and reasons and all of that. But it is an excellent reset to just then pivot to go do whatever it is that you want to do. You know, again, using myself as an example, and people know this is that, you know, I, I was like one third patriotism, one third uh, grades weren't good enough to go to college, go play D3 football. Uh, and then one third, I want to go do something really hard and go have an adventure and just like get out and do something different. And, and, and a piece of that was like, I needed to get some interdependence from my family. I come from an upper middle-class background, you know, divorce, but outside of that's pretty normal these days. Like, you know, there's nothing, nothing really bad about my childhood, but I just, I was able to kind of get a reset and then pivot and put myself in a position and build a foundation that allowed me to then go do some of the things that I wanted to do and not necessarily rely on student loans or, or college from parents or whatever it might be. And so you painting that picture for understanding from, from a first generation, I mean, I guess standpoint, like the, the, the things that the military and athletics offer you is a very strong foundation for other things, which I, I know you know that because you've built a business off of, but it's worth repeating for people listening. Like these are foundations that you can use. I mean, look at enterprise as a great example, right? Like they, they have a, a recruiting program for, for college athletes. Like there's that stepbrothers joke. Like it is a, it is very much yeah. a strong foundation for the next adventure of your life. And it, it is a shame when, when people aren't able to kind of see that and, and still hold on to that, that old adventure um, and, and not see that, man, there's this new opportunity that's available to me. That's super exciting. And, and, and I would say like, there's also a gap in civilian, in the civilian world and, and, and mainly in corporate America, 
where, where they don't, a lot of those folks don't really understand what people go that go to serve walk out of there with like, like in their toolbox. Right. So that's also like part of our mission is like educating, educating the civilian world, mainly, you know, executives at uh, companies that are, that are building sales organizations to help them understand like, Hey, you're, you're kind of getting a steal with this, with this person because of what they did for, you know, anywhere from three to 15 years before, before they sit in a room and interview with you. So there's, there's still a gap on that side too, I would say. Yeah, no doubt. How many people did you run through your moonlighting program when you were doing it on the side? Like 30. Wow. Over the course of how long? Uh, four months. Wow. Yeah. And was it at the end of that, at the end of that four months where you were like, I got to do this? Walk us through that transition. Yeah. It was like, I was literally, I would do my day job and I was a CRO and the company was largely based in India. So I was doing like 4 a.m. to like 6 p.m. every day. And then I would, I would literally have like Zooms from like 6.15 to like 9.45. Um, and so part of it was like, that wasn't really tenable anymore. And the other part was like the financial side of it. I'm like, I, I, I get to help these people and I'm making money, which is amazing. And then, and then that, that helping people, like the text messages that you get after uh, uh, an athlete or a veteran gets a new job. Like I can't, like, I can't put into words how, how like powerful those, those messages can be that we get. And I just, was like, I, I felt like it was destiny. Like it was just time to like, it was time to go all in. I, I knew the opportunity was there. I knew that I was the guy that could build it better than anybody else. And I just, I just had to go for it. You find yourself getting more excited about that than than your other job. Yes, exactly. And that's that's an even better way to put it. That's one hundred percent right. When I was talking to people, I was work going. It was kind of quick, and then I was like, "Well, I'm doing this other thing, and it's freaking awesome." And here's what it is. And then all of a sudden, I'm like forty five minutes into this conversation, and they're like, "You know, Jr., I think there's something there." You know what I mean? Yeah. So if step one was was burning the ships, what was step two? Um, step two was figuring out how I could take it away from like a, a solopreneurship type of situation to like an actual organization. Um, so for me, that initial first step was like taking all these zoom calls that I was doing at night and turning them into evergreen content that people could consume. And, and it wasn't going to take my time. Right. So that was kind of step one. And then step two is like, all right, now that this is set up where a lot of people can do it at once, now I need to get more people into that program and I need some help on like ushering. Cause it's not just like, it's not a hands-off situation. A career transition is a big deal and you need people to be part of it. So then it was like, all right, that was kind of like my first couple hires where we call them coaches, but coaches that could work with these kids. So I would train the coaches, the coaches would train the kids. Um, and then it's kind of just taken off from there. Are these full-time, are these coaches, were you hiring full-time employees or are they uh, high-level operators in sales for other companies and, and you're bringing them on to coach and help? Uh, they were actually, uh, they they were full-time for me, but but what I did originally was I, I did like 1099. So like yeah. they were working essentially on commission. So I wasn't taking on cost until they were producing revenue for me. Yeah. Um, and now they're, they're full-time like W2 employees. 
but they, but they work for shift group. It's not, it's not like you're bringing in mentors that also worked out. Yeah, cool. Yeah. We have a mentorship program. We call it our assistant coaches program, but like they're, they're like one-off kind of conversations that a kid has during the process. Um, but the actual coaches, they're full-time. Yeah. And how long is the process that a, that a, a player or a veteran goes through and, and what's the process to get into the program? It's about, it's, it's, it's honestly probably 25 to 30 total hours of like content consumption and training. Um, and we've, we've had folks finish it in like five business days. We have folks that are, you know, six months out from, from leaving the military or retiring from sports and they kind of take their time. Um, so it's really up to the, up to the candidate in terms of how, how quickly they want to be interviewing, but it is a requirement. Like we don't introduce people to our customers until they finish the program. Um, and then in terms of, uh, getting engaged with us, it's like, it's free by the way. Like I, I should probably emphasize that we don't charge individual athletes or individual veterans to get access to this training. The thing that we ask for is that they're accountable while they're in the program, that they're coachable because they're going to need to be because they don't know anything yet. Um, and we really push for authenticity. Like, I think that's a really important part from a, to be successful is like, you've got to, you've got to bring yourself to everything and you've got to bring your best self to everything. Um, so those, are, that's literally all they have to sign off on is that they're going to be accountable, coachable, and authentic. Other than that, they have to do the work um, and get through the, get through the program. Um, what have you learned about yourself as an entrepreneur thus far? And then what have you learned about yourself as a salesperson thus far going through this yourself? Um, they're kind of one and the same. I'm a really good sales guy. <laughs> like I, I kind of, I always knew that, right. That's what I did for 16 years. Um, like I'm good at, understanding what people need and showing them that I can give it to them. That's really what sales is. Uh, you know, it's not, you know, and that, and, and it starts with that understanding and like, and like really attuning yourself to somebody. Um, and, and, and we've had success, especially initially because I'm, I'm really good at that. So I can get a, an athlete or a veteran excited about doing our program, excited about sales. I can get a company excited about hiring these types of people and, an athletic or a veteran organization excited about sending us their people. Um, but that being said, there's a lot of stuff on the entrepreneurial side that I am not good at, right? Like I am not, I've never been like a very um, operationally minded human being in terms of like structure around workflow, structure around financing and budgeting, right? Like I think one of the downsides of being a good salesperson is you, you make a lot of money. That's not the downside. The, the downside is like, you don't have to plan a lot, right? Like you kind of just like, well, I'll just crush it and I'll make sure that I can pay this bill when it comes up. Right. Um, that doesn't work when you want to scale an organization, unfortunately. And, and that's definitely a lesson I've learned the hard way, especially over the last 12 months of 2023. And what that means, Carrie, is I have to go out and I have to hire people not to tell them what to do, but I need to go hire people so they can tell me what to do when it comes to all those weak spots that I have. Was that a difficult realization for you or was it just pretty simple? Pretty simple. Like I, I, I kind of like, you know, I think self-awareness is probably my biggest strength. I kind of always knew that. And I kind of always knew like when we got to a certain size, I was going to need help. 
I think I delayed it longer than I should have. Um, but it was, it wasn't hard because I always knew it in the back of my head. Just for revenue purposes. Like you just wanted to make sure that you were ready. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when did you, when did you bring on your first veteran on, on staff and to the, to the teeing up a little bit here, but when, uh, when did you bring him on? Yeah, it was January of last year. So he's been with us for a year. So we did, we did about a year where we just did athletes. We ended up, um, fortunately just like through my network, we, we ended up helping, uh, uh, about a dozen veterans in 2022. And because this was always my vision, I, I always knew that like one of our strengths as an organization was when an athlete came into our program and they heard me talk, they, they can relate to me right away. Like they believe me. Um, and, and it's, it's because there's no bullshit. Like I've been there, I've done that. I've, I've been in your shoes. And I knew that on the veteran side, like as authentic as I am, like I'm, I authentically didn't serve. So I know I needed somebody who had a similar kind of challenge in their transition with me and had some experience in sales. And that's when, that's when we brought in Sean, our, you know, he's now our growth director, um, but he started out as our veteran coordinator. And then what was it like for you to see that, that kind of slot get occupied? Cause as you're, as you're talking and, you know, being authentic and vulnerable about what you are able to offer, but what you're not able to offer, how did those two things, how did the two communities come together, right? You're the two communities that you're serving, like, what did it, what did it feel like? And then operationally, what was it like for those two communities to come together within the organization to, to move it forward? Well, I think like the coolest part of like, you know, I, I really recruited Sean and like had to sell him on, on joining the team. And the coolest part was like, listen, just go through the athlete. We have this like intro course that a kid has to go through initially to learn about, you know, themselves, learn about this career and like start to see the parallels. And I had Sean do that. And I asked him like, so what do you think? Like, he's like, dude, like I almost everything you said resonated with me as a veteran. Right. And Sean didn't play college sports or professional sports. And hearing that from him, it, it, it kind of confirmed what I had already thought in the back of my head. So like, that was a big step. Right. And then getting Sean in. And then I think like, essentially what we did is we took that intro course and I had Sean rebuild it in the context of a veteran. Right. I said, you know, you have this outline, you have this guideline, but don't use the same language, use the language that's appropriate for a veteran that they're going to hear and they're going to understand. And, and you, I, I don't need to tell you, like the terminology is different. Um, like some of the like MOS and some of this other stuff that exists in the military community, like uh, with Sean building that, I think it was a pretty natural, it was kind of a natural connection. And then the more veterans that we help, the more I get to see this, like these parallels between veterans and athletes, it's, it's very real and very obvious. And, you know, we do group calls. We do, we do five a week. Everybody on my team does one. Um, and seeing them interact is, is incredible. Like it's, they're, they're team people, right? Like they're all team people. Um, and they, and they all are cut from the same cloth and it's been really, really cool to see them interact and, and make connections that, that, that I think they're going to have for life. Yeah. I love it. Um, one more question before the open-ended question that, that I end each episode with. Uh, what's, uh, what's on the horizon for, for, for you and for the organization? What are you most excited about going into 2024? So I, I'd say 
so we self-funded a software platform, um, which was again, part of that deck I, I, I built back in on my flight to London. Um, and that's been live now for a couple months. So now companies can go in and they can watch like game tape of an athlete or a veteran doing the skills that we teach them. It's, it's, it's badass. Like every person I show it to is like, this is so cool. I wish this, I wish this existed when I was hiring people, or I wish this existed when I was transitioning out of sports or a service. Um, now that we have this like platform fully built out and we have the, the, we're, you know, refining the process and the workflow. Now it's all about scale and scale is two parts. It's supply, right? We want to, we want to get our name out to as many athletes and veterans as we can. Um, and then it's demand, which is like, we, we built the business largely in the tech, in the tech vertical. Cause that's where I grew up. It's where I had my success. It's where my network was, but I am one of very few tech people that realize that there, there's a world that exists outside of their world. And there's so many incredible, incredible sales professions that you can go down and you can make an amazing living and create a great life for your family. And we want to open up avenues into all those spaces, whether it's med device, pharmaceutical, staffing and recruiting, financial services, like the list goes on, manufacturing, the list goes on and on, Carrie. And the plan for this year is to is to take what we built and just like expand it to as many athletes and veterans and, and to as many organizations uh, that we can. Um, and that and that's what I'm most excited about is is going and getting wins into these industries that I've never really like sat down and learned about or you know spent time in. And and I think it's going to be super exciting, not just for our customers, but, but more importantly for the athletes and veterans that get access to learning about these, these things. I love it. Where can, um, where can folks find, find you, uh, on the primary channels that you communicate on and where can, where do you want to drive traffic for the organization? Yeah. So my, my like primary means of communication to the world is through LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty loud voice on there and I don't hold back. Like that's one thing, you know, authenticity is a core value, not just for our candidates, but for our company. So I'm a good follow on LinkedIn, JR Butler. And then if you're interested in learning more about the program, just come to our website, www.shiftgroup.io. And you can clearly find out where you can sign up if you're an athlete or a veteran. Awesome. I love it. We will, uh, we'll link this out on, on Instagram and all that stuff too. I'm connected to the, to the, uh, the account there. And so we'll, we'll throw this out on Instagram, but we'll throw reels and clips out on, on LinkedIn, um, as well, um, here, uh, next week. Um, all right. So to end each episode, I ask an open-ended question and this is primarily for the veteran community. So you don't need to exclude the, exclude the athlete, athlete community because you're, you're, that's where you come from. But I am actually curious your answer to this question, these questions, because, because of the exposure you've gotten to, to the veteran community, um, over the last couple of years as you, as you've worked and, and placed people. So, uh, the question is what's on your heart and your mind for our community could be a piece of advice, something you want to get off your chest or something you want to reiterate from what we've already talked about today, but JR, what's on your heart and what's on your mind? I would say just my, my, my biggest like nugget, uh, from a heart perspective is to, is to realize and understand that the choice you made to serve in the military and to, and to actually go and do it, it makes you, I don't want to say better. It makes you uh, more valuable 
in in civilian in the civilian world than you realize. And don't be shy about leaning into that, right? And the more you can lean into that, the more you can learn, you know, how to tell that part of your story in the context of the civilian world, the more powerful that that experience is going to be for you. Um, and, you know, again, that's part of our mission is helping those people that make what I consider the biggest sacrifice for our country and our freedoms and what we get to, you know, what we get to do um, every single day and say, you know, free, 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 free thoughts, you know, free mind, free speech, free markets is because of you. And you should, you should really lean into that and, and find whether it's shift group or somewhere else, find somewhere where you can learn how to tell that story. Um, from my mind, I would, my advice is start, you know, start exploring curiously, um, life after service. What do I mean by that? I mean, reach out to people, right? Like you're going to find, there's a lot of people in the civilian world like me that, that respect and appreciate what you've done. And if you approach them professionally and say, Hey, I just want to talk. I just want to learn about your career and what you've done. You should try to go have as many of those conversations as you can towards the end of your service so that you have some ideas about when you get out, like what you could potentially go do. So don't be afraid to go out and start exploring those things, right? It's okay to move out of your studio, your studio apartment and move into a one and two bedroom while you're still serving. It's actually going to make that, that, that veteran room. It's going to make it more enjoyable if you have other rooms you can go to while you're there. Yeah, I love that. I love that analogy. Um, <clears throat> great answers, Jr. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time, and uh, excited to to put this content out, brother. Thanks for having me, Carrie. All right, we'll see you, man.